Hello all, welcome to the Lunar Sea Spire Cartoon Fan Podcast. This is episode 466, and today we'll be talking about Darkness Before the Dawn, from Unicorn Warriors Eternal. I'm GC13. And I'm David. So we get uh, we get some pretty intense battle scenes in this one. I'm almost sad that was all in a flashback. Yeah, this uh, <laughs> the pacing, the scenes, this episode... Is really a transition point, <laughs> I guess, in the show. <laughs> it's an inflection point for sure. Yeah, this is what sends us hurtling into, well, the final episodes. So, I mean, we get a brand new character. We get uh interesting flashback fight. But actually, the main conflict doesn't happen, right? I mean... We kind of see, well, Winston as a werewolf fight at least two times <laughs> against, well, even Edred both times. And wow, he can really hold his own. I think he's a werewolf more in the uh, Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines vein, if anyone has played that game, in that you don't really beat the werewolf so much as you trick it into getting crushed by a giant automatic door. <laughs> uh, yeah, because otherwise the wolf just comes with inherent instincts and power and i mean winston is goofing around but he i think he's right like he is a creature of the night who uh <laughs> you know i don't know naturally can just tear you apart if he needs to he is the terror that howls in the night <laughs> exactly but uh well i don't i don't think we'll ever see him be tricked but he certainly looks like a big goofy wolf <laughs> so you know yes i I love uh, the the way they do it at the beginning, because as, as soon as you see it's a werewolf, you know, well, there's only one werewolf who would be here. It's Winston. But when he when he sees Winston and he's jumping at her, you see his eyes change into the goofy cartoon wolf, not the savage evil wolf. And it's like, he was completely going to hug Melinda slash Emma when he saw her. Uh, it was strange. It seemed like he was confused. Like, maybe he saw her. And for some reason, he just felt the intense need to rush at her, but maybe in an attack pose. I think it's after he's jumped and looking at her that he realizes yeah. that he shouldn't do whatever he's about to do. <laughs> he realizes in that jump who she is. His face, his mood completely changes. And uh, I, I think he goes from wanting to maul her. He doesn't know why she stood out to him uh, at the time, but once he gets a good look at her, he realizes. He moves very quickly, too, right? This is the first time we've seen Winston as a werewolf. So he starts as not even in control, right? He's just insatiably eating <laughs> from the, the yeah. train kitchen. Luckily, he wasn't eating people. So that's a good early sign. He's a good man at heart. <laughs> right. So that carries through. And by the end of the episode, he's pretty much completely in control of the werewolf form. Completely, you know, aware of his surroundings and, you know, at, at the time focused on. Fighting Edred, except when, you know, Melinda experiences yeah. some problem and starts screaming, you know, he can be out of the moment and into the new moment. <laughs> you know, he's not distracted by being a wolf. So that's, you know, that's great. <laughs> instant, instant yeah. development. His love for Emma really helped him focus. Uh, uh, you want to talk about literally unwatchable, though? He says that, you know, every full moon I turn into that beast. It's like, wait, this isn't the same full moon? Like, if you told me that everything had happened on the same day, the timetable almost feels like it matches up. I think they had, like, one day without Copernicus, but, well, you know, 
uh, full moon. You, usually it's plus or minus a day when you do werewolf games. Uh, he also, we're about to see, like, I'm not going to try to do too many more spoilers, but I don't know how it works. He just starts staying as a werewolf for the rest of the time. I I don't know. <laughs> I guess maybe it's because of the rules of where he goes next, but it's, uh, I don't know. He just yeah. has control of the werewolf form now. Sure. It's just a fundamentally magical place, so it brings out his fundamentally magical form. I'll buy it. Yeah, I, I guess that's it. So whatever, the moon thing. It was fun to see their interpretation, though, which is, you know, any shadow at all, basically. If he's not in direct line of the moon, he's just instantly back to Winston. No even transformation sequence or transition. I don't think that the train roof was able to shield him, because I think in the car he was eating in, I think that roof was intact, but uh, but definitely that tunnel shielded enough of the moonlight. Right, tunnel, cloud cover, mm-hmm. whatever. I guess, though, like, moonlight, well, you know, even on a cloudy day, moonlight would still come through the clouds and around them. But I guess you could argue it comes through, you know, the windows of the train and such. Whatever. Physics. Whatever works, right? There's very little physics that are real in this, <laughs> in this experience. But yeah, the Rakshasa, that was a cool guy. <laughs> yes, as soon as as soon as I saw I thought he was gonna be a shapeshifter. The the whole time I'm thinking, watch out for the Rakshasa, because I know in uh Dungeons of the Dragons they can do shapeshifting. So I thought it was gonna be the Rakshasa messing with stuff. And then if you watch the watch this sequence a second time, there's all sorts of foreshadowing. Like he seems to wonder, who's Emma? Like he doesn't have the correct memories. I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say Merlin's not that bad a guy, don't you think? Right. No, that moment stood out especially because, what, it was just two episodes ago that we were talking about how Merlin could see Emma. He had a heart-to-heart with Melinda, but it just, it seems like he should be understanding her situation right now. So that stands out. And it all builds to that, right? Like, we're seeing all these, everything's silent, this battle happened. Merlin doesn't want to discuss what happened in the battle. The only weird part is that his eyes should have been green the whole time. I don't know how yep. the evil is able to hold back until the end. I, I thought for sure, though, that the, that Merlin was just a shape-shifted Rakshasa. That was, that's what got me. Although, mm. I, I really hope I'm not the only person who watched his little flashback sequence and was really confused about the timetables at first, didn't realize that he had entered into a flashback. No, I thought that too upon the second watch. They didn't do much of a transition when Merlin started his story. That's kind of a editing choice. Or I guess in cartoons there isn't editing, but you know. I'm glad I'm not the only person who uh, got confused by their lack of signposting on that then. Right. Now, what I don't understand, you know, we talked about Otto a bit, now we see Otto come back. I'm trying to trace exactly what Otto's involvement in things are. First of all, without even going back, if we just think about the fight, what actually went down here? What operation was happening? Yeah, why is Otto here? Like, let's assume Merlin's backstory is a complete lie. Like, okay, he meets the Rakshasa, but is Otto actually extracting energy from this region? Is that really a fight that happened? Clearly, evil, the evil appeared here again, but like, you know, and at least killed Rakshasa, 
presumably also killed Otto. Presumably that wasn't Merlin and the Rakshasa fighting Otto. But if we think back, Otto was in cahoots with the Fox Lady, who appeared to be controlled by the evil. But, uh, well, you know, the Fox Lady's quite confusing now, too, because as we see Merlin influenced by the evil here, uh, you know, how much is Merlin? How much is the evil? It's very confusing. I don't know. Maybe the Fox Lady was also just some being that the evil was controlling. But again, what did Otto have to gain from trying to send the mayor on a ridiculous chase or whatever? I I, I don't know. Or like selling out. I guess Otto selling out the Fox Lady is a good guy move, but it feels weird. Yeah, it marks him as a good person because, or at least not an evil person. My best guess, and again, we just, there's there's nothing really for us to grasp on here, but my best guess is that what Merlin said was in broad strokes accurate. Uh, maybe maybe there was an energy extraction operation there that uh, the Fox Lady helped him set it, set this up so, you know, he can have more robots to to give her to do her stuff. Maybe that's uh, why Otto just happened to be here, and maybe Evil Merlin goes to Ice Otto as punishment for selling out the Fox Lady. That's my best guess for why Otto is even here. It's, yeah, uh, again, I'm still trying to trace, like, because Otto is an important part from the start. The robots are the one that dig up Copernicus, but the robots are controlled by the Fox Lady. The Fox Lady seems to be aware of how the reincarnations work. Why is she trying to kickstart them again? If she's the evil, why does the evil even want that? Oh no, she she 100% wanted to stop them. She thought, oh, I'm going to go dig up Copernicus and destroy him before he can Uh, summon Unicorn again. Right, her intent was not to let him be free. Uh, right, okay. Remember, what she said was, it seems that uh, we've caused the, the very thing that we wanted to avoid, is uh, what she said when she saw how strong Melinda was becoming. Mm-hmm. But I feel like that is also exactly what happened when she when she had them attack Copernicus. But yeah, she has whole armies of those things. Remember, they're also the ones that hijacked the shipment full of statues. Right. So maybe though she just like bought them. Or stole them. <laughs> and yet, how how is Otto aware or indirectly aware of her? And why does he try to send the inspector after <laughs> her? Instead of, uh, I mean, he seems to be pretty well stacked with his giant, you know, Eggman fortress thing. So why doesn't he just go take care of the problem? And what the heck was the inspector mm. going to do about it on his own? You know? Very, very good question. Like I said, we have maybe a quarter of the episodes we need to really, truly dig deep into these. Like I said, if they if this had been a 26-episode first season, I think we would be in a much better place. But as we'll get to in two weeks, I, it would be a first season. Right, it certainly is. But it feels... Well, we'll again, haha, we'll talk about it in two weeks. They're not coming back in on all this. Or if they do, it's going to be with some really masterful writing. Because it would be awkward to just try to flashback, fill it in, answer the questions. Like, they have to keep moving forward, in my opinion. It's like, they couldn't just make a Steven Universe sequel series now, where Steven just casually asks the gems all the questions I want. 
<laughs> filled in, you know, for the show. It's just uh, unnatural. <laughs> I would, however, watch that show. Yeah, I mean, sure, me too. I literally would watch a Steven Universe show where Steven, like, was just writing a fan wiki and just musing over <laughs> <laughs> the details of writing it, you know. But um, but we're not healthy, so <laughs> it's fine. We are nerds. This is true. <laughs> so we don't know what Otto was doing there. We have no idea how the Rakshasa fits into all this. Like I said, the, the only thing we really can do is kind of assume that most of what Merlin said is fairly accurate, and it only becomes inaccurate at the point where he decides to stop talking. Yeah. But like I said, I, I have a feeling that the evil was there to assassinate Otto for his impudence. Yes. Purely guesswork on my part, though. Uh, this So this episode, the way they talk about the evil, all the previous episodes, it's been similar. We have to stop the evil. The evil's just evil. The motivation is it's evil. I think at this point, <laughs> I started to question, are we going to learn more about the evil? Because it really is just this kind of timeless entity. It's almost hilariously like, <laughs> uh, almost like a parody of shows that do this, you know, having these warriors that fight against some ultimate evil. This is the most plain ultimate evil that has maybe ever existed because it is so pure, so simple, and it's just going to keep being that way. But like, I want to know more about it. I don't it. know. <laughs> like, yeah, this, there's so little to the evil in Unicorn that I, I can't even say it's like just pure, simple evil. It, this is just, I'm a bad guy. I do bad guy stuff. Right, except it doesn't even have a personhood. This is one of those faceless evils, uh, which yep. are <laughs> seemingly a more and more popular narrative construct <laughs> in, in more popular media. Kind of like the Disney transition away from having villains in their animated movies. They're a really awesome concept. However, I think you are going to be better served in most cases with a, a villain that the audience can really sink their teeth into. I would more prefer these kinds of faceless evils when you're really trying to make the evil a metaphor for some social ill, which is definitely not happening here. Right. That's kind of the interesting thing is the evil exists on its own. So what it can do is kind of bring out other questions. And we're certainly full of questions, right? Oh, it's our favorite this thing. This episode starts, <laughs> it starts with the characters themselves kind of walking through the logistics of the setup of the show, which I enjoyed too, right? Like, Edred and Melinda are considering, are they eternal? What happens after this fight with the evil? Sang reminds them they made the sacrifice, but it all kind of feels empty, doesn't it? Like, it feels like these characters are confronting that, you know, they're fighting an evil because that's what good guys do, but, you know, what is... The purpose of all this, what have their lives been about? And no one knows about the conflict with the evil. Like, they've managed to hold it off for so long that no one's even hardly aware of it, uh, aside from some fanboys that exist from the generations of other warriors. Yeah, they're far too <laughs> successful at their job. Right, you know? <laughs> it's like they didn't focus on their job security so much. <laughs> they were too effective. But, yeah, so... 
the evil then posits these more interesting philosophical questions for themselves in this process that I think, again, you know, uh, it's annoying that we, you know, keep mentioning it, but it's the theme with this show. There just isn't that room to spend more time with it because we're going along so quickly. So, you know, if this had been more of a, that exploration of magic versus science, which just has a tiny intersection here, right? With the idea that Otto is building the robots with the magic, you know, maybe there was going to be nuance there and the evil is this excuse for us to be exposed to all these scenarios. But as it is, you're like, you know, I'm just stuck between this concept of we're in steampunk England. There's magical people and there's non-magical people and there's science that's hard to understand and there's an evil that doesn't connect with that theme at all. Does the evil care about being science or magic? I don't know. And the most interesting thing is the Melinda Emma thing, which luckily they will dive into even more. And I, uh, now that I have finished the season, I'm very happy about my previous speculation. So uh, <laughs> there's like one thing that I understood in this show. I feel good about that. The core driving character conflict. Yes. Always a good thing to understand. But yeah, so uh, the evil. <laughs> We don't know it, but uh, we 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 don't, and we don't love to see it. <laughs> no, <not laughs> Poor really. Merlin. I, I love it when the writers just toss in the heavy stuff, like "Oh, deception is the evil's greatest weapon." <laughs> yeah, don't say. <laughs> yeah, I I love that, it, it, and it was so painfully obvious while they were going on their walk. But I love how they keep walking down darker, darker corridors of the dead robot bodies, culminating to Merlin, you know, turning around and. Emma just has no idea, right? She's trying to piece things together, but she can't pay attention to what's right in front of her. You know, it's all very fun. (laughs) Did I say that when Merlin cuts loose, he can wreak some serious havoc? Yes, I did. Well, uh, yeah. (laughs) Of course, it's also hard. You know, it's like the influence of the evil, which appears to have quite a bit of energy behind it. Hmm. Who knows? And also, he got overtaken by the evil, however that works. Oh, we'll see how that works. Well, we won't get the discrete mechanics of it. I don't know how it got to him. One of the many questions we'll never know the answer to. We need to mention that Winston did have a metal diaper in this, right? Uh, <laughs> we just need to say it A very sturdy metal diaper. Quite a concept, just like... Maybe, maybe that's why he stays in his wolf form permanently, because when he goes into the wolf form, it destroys the diapers. So, to protect Melinda's innocence, um, he can't show off the goods anymore. <laughs> I really, it's it's funny to me that they went back to that well a second time, right? We already dealt with, hmm. you know, Edred trying to protect Melinda's slash Emma's, you know, purity. <laughs> and now we're just back to that again, like... She's embarrassed to see Winston, but whatever. (laughs) Remember, though, he's Emma's husband, not Melinda's. Right. Yeah, it's hard being a hybrid person. (laughs) It's hard to know your boundaries. Yep, yep. And these two goofballs won't stop bickering with each other. It's funny, though, that Edred just continually is on the wrong side of the equation. Even though Winston is kind of... You know, he is problematic in a sense, too, because he's refusing to listen to the fact that Melinda is also a person who is there. You know, like, she is also in that body, and he really ignores it and just pushes through to only connect with Emma. 
And he's very cognizant of how this is working because when he's trying to taunt back on, on Edred, who's trying to, you know, put him down, make him consider the future of when Emma is free of Melinda and, you know, maybe Emma still won't love him, which is just a ridiculously mean thing yeah, never, to try to put him never down. Never would on. happen. Then, you know, he claps back and says, well, they both seem to like me. So, <laughs> and they don't seem to remember you at all. He, he, you know, he's trying to bring the Melinda love into question and even saying maybe I've even convinced Melinda to like me a bit, which is also pretty conceited. And Emma slash Melinda do display some level of, you know, annoyance or like they never say, oh, I, I love you too and fawn back over him, right? Like Winston's the one doing all the fawning, but still like she's more sympathetic to him. And I wonder why he's more sympathetic. Like, why is his love more pure? Clearly, Edred also cares a lot about this, but, you know, then again, he's also showing that he's not really paying any attention to Winston's needs at all, but, then again, Winston doesn't seem to really have any concern for Edred, so I kind of feel like they're both in the wrong. Edred's an elf. He just can't help but do everything in the jerkest way possible. <laughs> Poor guy. It's like in, uh, it's like in Steven Universe. Technically an island adventure, Lars is a victim uh, of Sadie. But he manages to be a victim in such a jerk way that you kind of don't <laughs> care anymore about that. Oh, man. Yeah, the nuance of I'm a victim, but I'm a terrible victim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I think I think Edred is just suffering from Lars disease. <laughs> I like that as a narrative trope, Lars disease. He'd look much better in pink. TV tropes get on it. <laughs> they probably already have a trope for it, but we need to rename whatever it is. Anyway, guys, that's it for us on Darkness Before the Dawn. Join us next week. Until then, I'm GC13. And I'm David. Don't forget to leave us a review anywhere you listen to podcasts. Later, everybody. Our opening and closing music is by Mark Soto. For more cartoon-related content, please visit LunarCeasefire.com.